If you can believe it, North Carolina and Kansas have only met 12 times in program history and only once in a true home environment, but that is about to change why this scheduled home-and-home home series between these two teams is great news for college hoops. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast a daily national podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton. Happy Tuesday out there to those of you listening. Shout out to those everyday listeners checking us out on YouTube as well. We got some new head coaches to break down later in the show, continuing a series we started last Friday, looking at first-year head coaches or at least new head coaches to their programs and what that might mean for each individual school. We'll talk about that later, but we got to open up today's show with the big news Kansas, North Carolina, two of the bluest blue bloods that exist, have scheduled a home-and-home series beginning in the 2024-25 season. So we got to wait a whole nother season before we get an opportunity to see this. But what an exciting time for college basketball, two of the most notable programs in the entire sports history. Meeting up November 8th, 2024 at the Allen Fieldhouse iconic venue for the Kansas Jayhawks. That is when they will host North Carolina for the first time. And then the return year, November 14th, 2025, Dean E. Smith Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. That'll be the first time that Kansas has ever come to North Carolina to play. North Carolina has played in Lawrence, Kansas before, but that is it. These two teams have met 12 times. I was stunned, stunned to find out that that is how few times these two teams have played. Of course, it does not hurt that the most recent matchup between these two schools is very fresh in most people's memory, as it was the 2022 National Championship game when Kansas came back from 15 down to win against North Carolina in the second half. One of the biggest comebacks in NCAA tournament history, a tremendous, tremendous basketball game. That was the 12th time those teams had ever met. And I cannot believe that they've never played a home-and-home home series again. Only one time has there ever been a game in Kansas. It was over 50 years ago. I think it was like 60, 70 years ago when that game happened. Seven of the 12 matchups between these two schools have come in the NCAA tournament, which should not be altogether all that surprising. These are teams that are very regularly seeded. One seed, two seed, three seed, you would expect that eventually they would find their way to meeting each other later in the tournament. And indeed, that has happened seven times, as we said. The most recent matchup between these two schools was that 2022 National Championship. The first matchup between these two schools was in 1957, and it was also a National Championship game. UNC won that one. Kansas gets the rubber match a good 50-plus years later. Uh, and now we get to see these two teams square off in their home arenas. And I say more of this, more of this, please. I have not hidden my feelings on this show, on Locked on Zags, my other show, about wanting to see more true home and true road games. And this goes for everybody, all Blue Bloods. I think there's this, this movement that Gonzaga specifically is really trying to get more home games and are struggling to do so. And of course, they play in a much smaller arena, but I've criticized Mark Few for not playing true road games as well. A lot of teams, Duke doesn't like playing true road games. Like there's a lot of teams that have really hesitant are hesitant to play these games. And I get why it's not surprising why you would rather play a team at a neutral site when 
there's maybe more seats, which is probably equating to more casual fans and less of a uh, home court advantage for whoever you are playing. I wouldn't want to go play. I'll use Gonzaga as an example. Again, I wouldn't want to go play them at the McCarthy athletic center. I would never want to play Duke at Cameron indoor or North Carolina at the DD Smith. Center. I, I wouldn't want to play these. I get it. I get it, but it's better for college basketball. And I have a really hard time hearing an alternative option to that. Like I just college athletics at their core are for college students. They are for the players playing on the field and they are for the students at the school. Secondary to that is the fan base, the alumni base, boosters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going on down the line. But to me, college athletics are about school pride and it is first and foremost for the actual students. Some people may disagree with me and that's okay. I understand that there are other arguments. I understand that there are arguments for playing in a bigger arena when you have a marquee game. But to me, most of those arguments are going to come down to money. And while it is very clear that modern college athletics, not just basketball, modern college athletics are significantly financially driven. Impossible to argue against that. Every decision being made from conference realignment to expanding the playoffs to looking at expanding the NCAA tournament, all of it. All of it is being made with money in mind. And it's a good thing that part of that that pie, part of that financial gain is now going to the student athletes. That is a positive thing that has happened. There needs to be some regulation on how it's happening. That's a conversation for another time, likely multiple conversations for other times. But at the end of the day, college athletics, I think, needs to be reminded and needs to kind of ground themselves in focusing on making the sport first and foremost for the students, the student athletes, and the regular student population. Playing home games, playing the best opponents that you play at home in a huge or in a, in a raucous environment with your, your home court traditions, the things that you as a student base do, that makes the sport better. It's a more enjoyable product to watch on TV. I would rather watch Duke at Cameron Indoor than at Madison Square Garden. And I love watching basketball games at Madison Square Garden. Don't get me wrong. It is the mecca of basketball for a reason. But at the end of the day, this sport is about the students. That is my belief. And I believe that games like this should continue to be played at home as much as possible. Huge shout out to Bill Self and Hubert Davis for being willing to put their teams in a situation that is going to be hard to win. November 8th, that is really early in the season. At this point, obviously, we have no idea what the roster is going to look like. Is Hunter Dickinson going to still be there? No idea. No clue. Even guys like Arterio Morris, Nick Timberlake, like, are those guys still going to be there? Dewan Harris. It's hard to know. Same with North Carolina. Who's still going to be there? Who's going to have transferred in? Who's going to have transferred out? What is this roster going to look like? Hard to say. But what I know is that on November 8th, 2024, North Carolina is going to take a roster that hasn't played together all that much, depending on how much continuity they end up having. And they're going to go play in one of the hardest home arenas in all of college basketball. They are willing to do that. Willing to put themselves out there in a position where they might lose. They probably will not be favored in that game. It's really hard to know what's going to happen in November of 2024, especially in the modern age of college basketball. But it's going to be Kansas isn't isn't expected to lose at home very often. And I'd be surprised if they were expected to lose this one. But putting yourself in that position, it makes you better. 
It makes you more prepared for raucous home environments. It makes you more prepared for the intensity of the NCAA tournament. And more importantly, it is a gift to the fan base, to the students, to the people who follow the sport, because it is a better environment to watch the game. And at the end of the day, I think that's one of the things that matters the most. And it's not always going to be the thing that comes up first. And certainly money is going to supersede some of those traditions and some of that other kind of things that we love about college basketball. That's just going to continue to happen. Conference realignment, again, is part of that. Continued conversations about expanding the NCAA tournament or changing the the rules to get into the tournament, all that stuff, are being done with financial thoughts in mind. And this is the kind of decision that isn't necessarily being done with that in mind. They're not playing this game at some big, huge arena where they can get sell more tickets and sell more concessions and make a little bit more money. Obviously, both these home arenas are pretty darn big, so that is still a benefit that they are getting. But I think continuing to be willing to play these games and put yourself in a position where it might be harder to secure a victory in order to better and further grow the sport is a good thing. Well, we're going to continue our series that we started on Friday discussing some new head coaches in college basketball, how we think things might shake out in their first year at their new programs. We're going to start talking about Damon Stoudemire, a very kind of under-the-radar, unheralded hire at Georgia Tech, but one that I think could really be a significant game-changer for that program. More on that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure every single player is a perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check mark to know that your part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll get back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when all the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers and eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those of you checking us out on YouTube. Very much appreciated. We got more conversation around the transfer portal around what's going on in college hoops. We'll continue to keep you updated on new coaches coming into the system as well. All that stuff coming up later this week on Locked On College Basketball. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. But last week, we talked with Tristan Freeman, guest on Friday's show, the uh, site manager for the Busting Brackets, a website all dedicated to college athletics. And we talked about two new head coaches joining the Atlantic 10 Conference, that would be Ryan Odom coming over from Utah State to VCU, and Tony Skin taking over at George Mason after they lost Kim English to Providence. So we talked about those two schools on Friday, but today I want to kind of continue those conversations looking at some of the maybe less heralded new coaches. There's been a lot of conversation about Rick Pitino taking the job at St. John's. There's been a fair amount of conversation about Micah Shrewsbury at Notre Dame and a and, and handful of other coaches that are that are new as well. But I wanted to take a take a look at some of the the moves that maybe didn't make as many headlines, but they think could ultimately pay off for their programs. I'm going to start with Damon Stoudemire, Mighty Mouse, longtime Portland Trailblazers legend, has been a coach for quite a while as well. And, and he spent last year as an assistant coach under Ime Udoka with the Boston Celtics. And so I think when you see a coach take over as a head coach and they weren't recently at a school, it tends to not 
carry as much news. It doesn't seem to be, uh, it's just like, oh, and a guy came down from the NBA to the college ranks and it doesn't really get as many headlines. But Stoudemire only spent one year as an assistant with Boston. And of course, he had played with Ime Odoka, was, was familiar with Ime. So that was kind of part of the reason that that came together. Of course, Udoka did not keep his job with the Boston Celtics, is now going to coach the Houston Rockets. Meanwhile, Stoudemire goes to Georgia Tech. Here's the thing, though. Damon had, prior to being an assistant coach of the Boston Celtics, he'd been the head coach at the University of Pacific, the Pacific Tigers and the WCC. And look, that's it's not a good program. And I think that his record isn't going to pop off of the page. But as somebody who followed the WCC very closely while he was a coach there, I can tell you that he did a phenomenal job because that is an impossible place to coach. Impossible. It's located in Stockton, California, North Central Cali, a, a pretty not appealing area to be. I think that's as polite as we're going to get talking about Stockton, California. When you compare it to the other schools in the WCC, like even if you take out Gonzaga and St. Mary's, because they're frankly not competing for the same ca caliber of players, players are more likely to go to Malibu or to be in the Santa Clara area or to go to Portland. They're not going to stick in Stockton, California. So you're recruiting at a disadvantage from your location. Damon also took over the program when they had multiple sanctions levied against them by the NCAA because of the previous coaching staff who was giving players answers to test questions in high school, various other just complete no-nos. They ended up with an eight-year show cause for that coaching staff, which is pretty huge. They also ended up with uh, scholarship limitations. They were fined a significant amount of money. They had a postseason ban, which wasn't particularly relevant, but was still a part of the situation for Damon Stoudemire. And he dealt with these sanctions up through 2019. And he took over the program in, I think, 2016 or 2017. So he deals with these sanctions for a couple of years. He's coaching at a really hard school at the very bottom of the West Coast Conference. And he goes 71 and 77. Doesn't sound great, a heck of a lot better than they had been previous to that and a heck of a lot better than they have been since then. In fact, in that 2019-2020 season, the first year after many of the sanctions had kind of finally come off of the record books for Pacific, Stoudemire led the Tigers to a 23-10 and record. 23-10 and at Pacific is unreal. He won WCC Coach of the Year, completely deservedly so. Like, this is a, a coach who proved definitively that he can be a good head coach at this level. There are a lot of really good head coaches out there who probably wouldn't have turned Pacific into a 23 and 10 team in their first couple of years. Speaking honestly, there are there, I mean, like the, the greats would have been able to, but a lot of coaches probably wouldn't have to me. I think Stoudemire's pedigree is maybe not getting the shine that it deserves. And he's going to have to prove it because Georgia tech is not an easy job. Obviously, he did get a head coaching job at a power five, power six program in the ACC. Clearly, somebody believes in his ability. There's there's the, the perception that he is a good coach is clearly out there because otherwise he would not have gotten this job. But again, Georgia Tech was six and 14 in the ACC last year. They went 15 and 18 overall, decent in the non-conference, but six and 14 in a, in a not very good ACC. The ACC obviously had some talented teams. Duke ended up looking great. Miami bounced, you know, did did well. Clemson looked solid. North Carolina wasn't as bad as they started out, but six and fourteen. This is not a good ACC team. Not a good team in that conference right now. They also lost a decent amount of talent. They lost their sixth, seventh, and eighth leading scores from last year to the transfer portal. Uh, Devion Smith goes to Utah. Rodney Howard goes to Western Kentucky, and Jalen Moore goes to Oklahoma. So they lost some talent. 
They weren't very good last year. They did bring in some players, and I think that's what's going to help Stoudemire's ability to recruit. That's the thing that I really want to see from him. Because at Pacific, it's just impossible to judge how, how you recruit at a school like Pacific. It's really difficult. And he was there prior to a lot of the transfer portal madness, which, of course, is, is a completely different style of recruiting that coaches have to adjust to. Some seem to adjust quite seamlessly, like Rick Pitino. Some, I think, might take a little bit longer to figure out how this whole thing is going to shake out. Some never really tried, like Jim Beheim, and that's why they're out the door. But for, for Stoudemire, so far... The jury's a little bit out. He did add a couple of, of solid players. He added uh, Mari Abram from Ole Miss, averaged about eight points per game last year. He's a, a rising sophomore, so always valuable to add those guys who have multiple years of college eligibility remaining who have already transferred because the odds of Abram transferring, again, are fairly slim. He also adds Kawasi Reeves from Florida. He's an incoming junior, averaged eight and a half points per game for Todd Golden's team in the SEC last year. So a couple nice players coming in, a couple guys who I think are going to help this program. Look, I don't think Georgia Tech's going to turn things around magically and be a top five, top half team in the ACC. I, I, I have been very confident in Damon Stoudemire's abilities, and I remain confident in his ability, but I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Georgia Tech has been a program that struggled for a while now, and I, I don't think that the turnaround is going to happen anytime super soon. But for fans who maybe wrote this off as, oh, he's a guy who who had a sub-500 record at Pacific, you know, what? who maybe didn't consider that this is a coaching move that's going to work out at all. Again, don't take a victory lap after year one. I guess that's the best way to put it. If Georgia Tech is still sub-500, if they're still, you know, barely, barely win 40% of their games in the ACC, don't sniff an ACC tournament win or anything like that, I think a lot of people are going to say, look, we knew this wasn't going to work out, but you got to give it some time. Because he turned Pacific around, a really tough program to coach at, turn them into a 23-win program in four years. I think at Georgia Tech, without some of the, the limitations that he faced in the in the WCC, still some limitations, recruiting in the, at the ACC level is really hard when you're not one of the premier programs. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be easy for Damon Stoudemire to bring talent in, but I believe in his ability. And I think that in a couple of years, we're going to look at this decision for Georgia Tech to hire Damon Stoudemire very, very favorably for this program going forward. Well, no program suffered more last year than the New Mexico State Aggies. Now, new coach Jason Hooten, taken over from a program in the same conference, has to try to right the ship for the Aggies as they move into Conference USA. What is he going to be capable of doing? We'll talk about that right after this. All right, segment three here, closing out the show, talking about another new head coach. We're moving to the mid-major level after talking about Damon Stoudemire taking over for Georgia Tech in the ACC. We're going to look at Jason Hooten, who is taking over as the new head coach at New Mexico State. And for those of you who need a reminder of what the heck happened at New Mexico State last year, we don't have time for the entire story, but as a reminder, not last season, but the season before that, New Mexico State season ended after they beat UConn. They beat UConn in the NCAA tournament, 12 seed over a 5 seed. That was where the season started. From there, things immediately went off the rails. Chris Jans took a new job. They bring in Greg Heyer as the new head coach, a guy with very little experience, no experience at the Division I level. I think he'd been a D2 coach, maybe even a junior college coach. I can't exactly remember what his experience was prior to coming to New Mexico State, but it wasn't at the D1 level. And he looked incredibly ill-equipped to coach at the Division I level. 
some of it was not entirely his fault. I don't know that you can blame him necessarily for his players having guns on the on the on the bus and getting into violent altercations, including leading to a death. That was one of the first things that happened at New Mexico State. And you think, okay, clearly he should have had some more oversight of the program, but you know, maybe this isn't immediately fireable. But then a couple other things happened. One, the team was terrible on the court, far less relevant than what we're about to talk about, but it is a factor. They did not play well last year. And then on top of that, you have these horrific, horrific hazing allegations that come out about some of the players on the roster, including Deshaundre Washington, excuse me, who is now being pursued by Memphis. I caution all Memphis fans, you do not want this guy on your team. Trust me, he is a bad, bad egg. No other way to put it. The allegations are out there. You can read about them. My friend Colin Deaver, who works for a news station in New Mexico, has written some fantastic stuff about this story. Check it out if you haven't yet. Regardless, the program ended up getting shut down. They didn't even finish the season. One year later, after beating UConn in the NCAA tournament, UConn goes on to win a national championship. New Mexico State doesn't even finish the season. Two programs headed in polar opposite directions. New Mexico State, of course, moves on from Greg Hire. They move on from the entire staff, wipe their hands clean of it, get out of the whack, head over to Conference USA, and they bring Jason Hooten with them. Jason Hooten was the longtime head coach at Sam Houston State, another program moving from the WAC to Conference USA. These two programs are moving over together and will face each other after New Mexico State poached their head coach, Jason Hooten. 261 wins, 169 losses at Sam Houston State, good for a just under a 61% winning rate. Uh, two regular season titles for him course competed against new mexico state a handful of times in the whack now they're both headed to conference usa and i think this is an exciting hire they obviously had to do something and anybody would have been a improvement over greg hire it was just a complete train wreck of a hire it was questioned as soon as they made the hire nobody thought that it would go this poorly but it was one of those kind of Decisions that looked weird at the time and look so much worse now. But you know, hats off to them for at least quickly recognizing their mistake and trying to do everything they can to just move on and rid themselves of it. New Mexico State had 16, 16 players enter the NCAA transfer portal. That's per Evan Miyakawa's website. That's the whole team. Everybody's gone. They are just completely restarting their roster with the Aggies as they should. New coach, new roster. New conference, let's just wipe our hands completely clean of the complete disaster that was the 2022-23 season and start over from here. And so far, so good. They add Femi Odukale from Seton Hall. Of course, he also spent a couple of seasons at Pitt. Solid shooting guard for them to bring into the program. They add Brandon Suggs from Central Florida. They add Jalen Jackson Posey from Stephen F. Austin. Jordan Rawls from Western Kentucky. None of these guys are massive game changers. I think Odukale is probably the best player that they're bringing in. But they're bringing in capable players who can come in, reset the expectations, go to work, veteran guys who can kind of help right the ship here. I don't think New Mexico State is going to be great next year. I'm not sure they're going to be good. It's really hard to rebuild an entire roster in one season. But that's almost not as much of the focal point. I think the focal point right now is just kind of getting the embers going, just starting everything, getting some guys in, getting a, a capable Division I basketball roster together, and starting to build things your way the way that worked at Sam Houston State, 
Because if you're able to win 61% of your games at a school like that, you can have success at New Mexico State. Are you going to do it in a year where you're turning over your entire roster? Probably not. Rick Petito is going to try it, but he's had the ability to recruit a little bit better than Jason Hooten does at New Mexico State. In addition, they are also rumored to be involved in DeMar Langford's recruitment. DeMar Langford was a combo guard four-star recruit who went to Boston College. Never really panned out with the Golden Eagles, but a, a solid player that would be a, a nice addition. I think he'd be a starter right away for New Mexico State if he were to go there. But while I think this is a, a definitely a multi-year rebuild for Hooten and the Aggies, there's optimism. For one, New Mexico State has a very passionate fan base. They do. One of the most passionate fan bases on the mid-major level that I've ever seen. They're going to rally behind this team, rally behind this new coach. Nobody is happy about what happened last year, but they're going to power through and continue to be passionate about this program. I think Conference USA is going to help them as well. The WAC not a good basketball conference. New Mexico State dominated the WAC for many, many years. Grand Canyon has kind of never really reached the, the high expectations that they had for themselves. They just haven't quite got there. They did make the NCAA tournament last year, so they are capable, but they haven't quite reached that threshold. Conference USA admittedly lost most of their key talent. They no longer have UAB or Charlotte or, of course, FAU, the North Texas, all those programs gone. Go to the American Athletic Conference. Conference USA, they have Liberty, they have Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee State, Sam Houston comes over as well. It's not going to be a great conference. It is going to be better than the WAC. And I think for New Mexico State, it will help them continue to recruit successfully. They have always been decent at recruiting. We will see how Hooten is able to do in the transfer portal. Again, not a one-year situation here, but you look at Conference USA, like last year, the highest teams Ken Palm-wise, Liberty, they were 48th in Ken Palm last year. Sam Houston was 73rd. After that, Middle Tennessee State was 116th. Uh, La Tech was 165th. Like New Mexico State can probably get up into that range where they're towards the top half of the Conference USA in their first season there. That would do wonders to help rebuild the brand, to help rebuild the program, and to help start taking this thing in the right direction. Because the wheels completely came off last year in a way that we haven't really seen happen to other even remotely prominent Division I programs in a really long time. A season getting shut down in February is really rare. A team that the previous year pulled off a massive upset in the NCAA tournament, having their season shut down less than 11 months later, that is unheard of. It was deserved. It needed to happen. The whole reset needed to go down. And now you pick up the pieces and you figure out where to go from there. I love this hire by New Mexico State. I was a little surprised they were able to pry somebody from a conference foe to come coach over there. That doesn't happen very often. Of course, uh, this year, first time in, in Big East history, we've seen that happen with uh, with Ed Cooley going from Providence to Georgetown. So it doesn't happen very often at the bigger conferences. It's a little bit more common at the smaller levels, but this was still a pretty surprising move. Jason Hooten is a fantastic coach. He's won a lot of a lot of basketball games at a school that most people wouldn't expect to win a lot of basketball games. New Mexico State is a program that does have expectations. They do have aspirations. They do have a fan base and money and funding to, to turn this thing around and, and, and build a program that, that can compete in Conference USA pretty quickly. I, again, I'm not sure year one's going to happen because at this point you're just trying to rebuild the – you're kind of just trying to – to build some goodwill with the community, with the fan base, kind of prove that, hey, we're going to get the right kind of people in here. We're going to make sure that we're not making any mistakes off the court, and we're going to worry a little bit more about the basketball after year one. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if New Mexico State is back routinely in the NCAA tournament as a 13, 14, 15 seed like they used to be in the WAC. I wouldn't be surprised if they start doing that in Conference USA pretty soon. Exciting hire here for the Aggies. All right, folks, that's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Thought Podcast. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners as well. If you want to become an everyday listener, go to youtube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. It is very much appreciated. More fantastic stuff coming your way later this week. We got a couple of fun guests lined up. We got some good interviews coming your way in the future weeks as well, right here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, peace out.